Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 172 of Fun With Cars, Formula One podcast. Huh? See what I did there? I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau. And it's been a little while since you've heard from us, and we've had... Uh, it, was, it was last year. It was sir. last year. It was 2014, so happy 2015, everyone. Um, and, uh, and, and it's good to be back with you. I haven't seen you in a while, actually. Uh, I think the last time we actually were face-to-face was the last time we podcasted. Right, which uh, looks like was just before Christmas. Um, so, yeah, Merry Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. That all seems like a long time ago yes. now. That was a month ago. The same to you, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, and since that time, um, you, uh, you've been on some adventures. I was on uh, some did some adventuring on my own. But, uh, yeah, man, you went to, to Asia and all that for the first time? I did, and, boy, Asia just gave me a mouthful. It was... An amazing trip, but it wasn't terribly Formula One focused. I mean, as much uh, as much Formula One that's going on in in Asia, I avoided all of it. I was in Thailand. I oh, spent that's like the one South Asian country that doesn't have a Grand Prix, more or less. <laughs> and uh, I spent a few days in Chiang Mai and a few days in Bangkok, and uh, I rode elephants and well, no, rode a elephant and no, no, it was two rode elephants and pet tigers. And then also ate some tasty pad thai, among a few other things. An amazing place. It was 12 hours exactly off of uh, Eastern Standard Time. Uh, so That makes the math easy, at least. Yeah. So I didn't change my watch, which I wouldn't have anyway. But anyway, so yeah, that was my trip. Your trip, however, um, you were off to uh, South America. Yeah, and did you know there's a whole other America? It's crazy. If you just keep going south... Because, you know, I'm here in the U.S. thinking, like, oh, yeah, I live in America, whatever. If you go south, there's, like, Mexico, there's some other stuff. And then it, it comes back around. There's an equator. There's, like, a southern hemisphere. That right. was the first time I'd been right. there. There's a whole other America down there. So what was South America, Texas like? Dude, no, it was it was big. So I was in Brazil. I was in Sao Paulo, <laughs> which is, you know, uh, it's, it's like the industrial capital of Brazil. This is not. So don't, you know, if you're thinking Brazil, my, you know, mental image may be sort of beaches and, like, Rio de Janeiro and, like, Carnival and all that stuff. This wasn't exactly that. This was this was more for work and some, I uh, went to a grounds and was doing some testing and stuff but it was but that's still cool that it, it all is. that exists and that's what you did but also um because it's in the southern hemisphere um it's uh it's summertime there now which is yeah. great because it's definitely not summertime here when i left it was like all kinds of snow on the ground and really really cold and i got there and it was super warm and and you know uh, just it was like midsummer like thunderstorms every afternoon and all it was, it was which is really nice when it's you know the opposite of what you have here so it's it's funny you say that because you know thailand is not on but quite close to the equator and uh, it was plenty warm there as well just despite the, the fact that it was uh the northern hemisphere still right um so we both enjoyed that i did uh on my last day there actually um was looking at the map and saw oh wait actually interlagos circuit uh well i guess you know the interlagos area and uh and the circuit there the formula one track um, I was like, oh, I can get there by train. You know, that'll, that'll be cool. So I did. Uh, I hopped on, took a, a subway from the Paulista area where I was and uh, out to the train station and took the train down to that area. And uh, just to go check it out, you know, I was looking at the, the website for the track, had this big note in Portuguese, which I can barely kind of understand, but really don't speak. I wouldn't say that I speak Portuguese, uh, which was difficult, but we made it work. Well, um, the to- fact that you speak as much Spanish as you do. That alone helped. That was maybe more confusing than helpful, but, you know, it, it is what it is. Okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I went there and uh, uh, 
and, and it was for me, you know, I, the, the website was like, um, oh yeah, there's a bunch of stuff under construction. And I didn't see, there wasn't any like track days or anything like super cool or like, you know, oh, hey, we've got a vintage, you know, race going on or anything, anything sweet like that. But it is still, it is one of the older now and, cl- you know, hence classic Formula One tracks. It's quite fast. It's quite cool. And you were there. Yeah. And for, so for me, I'm, I'm like, you know, and it's pretty much just walking everywhere. Um, I didn't have a rental car or anything. So I was just walking up to it. And for me, it's like hallowed ground, right? It's like, you know, all the greats here, obviously with Senna and the whole history and all Absolutely. this stuff, you know, and even just the most recent thing was you know the world endurance uh you know race happening there and the big crash with mark weber like all yes. this stuff i'm like this is this is kind of like um you know this is this is a special turf right hallowed it ground is, whatever it's a fast place um and uh and so as i'm walking up to it and then and so i'm like it's kind of this like you know magical thing it's like super hot and it's really different and, and i'm walking into the track and then i hear like all kinds of like super loud super bad music and i'm like <laughs> what what's going on <laughs> whatever and there's these cars driving by and whatever so it turns out um on that day there was a car show um, that included like a stereo competition, right? So it's like all these guys with like the ridiculous subwoofers really? and all this stuff that are like trying to do, you know, like these decibel runs and try to, you know, maximum volume At of Interlagos. Yeah. Right. It's like just one of the parking lots on the outside, you know, kind of like that was just a place. And then also had a burnout competition going on. <laughs> so, See, I, I should have gone to that. I, I think I would have done kind of okay that thing. Right. Should have gone. Right. So it's it's funny for me because I'm sort of like, I'm like, oh, man, I have this respect for this, like, you know, really special place. And then it's like all these, uh, you know, maybe douchebags is a bit strong of a term. But, you know, it's a certain car, certain subset of the car enthusiast culture. That is a that is a strong term. It, it, it's but it is a, it's a different subset with their own equal amounts of enthusiasm. Right. The fact that it was held at Interlagos, that's a tiny touch puzzling. I'll admit that part. But because, you know. Like the parking lot of a Walmart also seems would have served that quite well, right? Or you know, well, and anyway, so take a they weren't really using the track per se. This was all sort of the access roads and the outside stuff, and and of course it's the, the off season for Formula One. And I think the track is actually under, if I could understand the website correctly, um, under some pretty big renovations for the pit complex and stuff like that. So I think the track uh, okay. is not available as a racetrack, um, but they had uh, you know other stuff happening on the. On the grounds, as it were. So it was a little bit funny, the juxtaposition between my it is. respect for the, the history of the place and then the present and what exactly was happening but on you know that what? day. I take back my previous statement about parking lots because it doesn't matter what you're doing. If it's related to cars and it's at a circuit that is um, important enough that it has been a mainstay on the Formula One circuit, which is this worldwide super popular thing, I, that's, that's a very cool place to do your pick a topic related to cars thing. Which is what they're doing. So I, I take back anything. I, it, I respect that. All right. So we do have quite a bit of follow-up since the last show. It's been uh, a little while, and there's yes. been plenty of news and announcements. Over a month, in fact. Right. So uh, where do you want to start with that? Well, I guess we were just talking about uh, renovations at uh, Interlagos. Well, it seems like... Despite all the positive news we've heard about Circuit of the Americas, CODA, as it's commonly referred. I hate that nickname, by the way. Can we not call it that? You, I'm very happy to call it Circuit of the Americas. All right, if you let's want. do that. Okay. At CODA, <laughs> they are putting on excellent events, but the racetrack isn't necessarily in great financial help. Yeah, this came to our Facebook page from Craig the Kilt, and it's a good long read on motorsport.com. Um, and the, it may be a little bit alarmist about, you know, is, is Circuit of the Americas in trouble? Um, is it all going to go wrong? And uh, But it's a good uh, backstory, though, about the whole project and how it came together, where the money came from, and how much money that was. Yeah. Um, but I think the takeaway is that right now the way money works in Formula One is the vast majority 
um, for uh, of, of incoming money is from two sources. One is from the, the broadcast and all the TV rights and the international TV distribution deals, and the other is from the tracks. And it seems like there's um, – you know, even though they're making plenty of money from from media stuff, um, they still demand these really, really high fees from the tracks, and that's that's just not a sustainable thing. I mean, uh, you know, in related news, of course, even the uh, uh, the Nurburgring can't afford to have the race, so that's moving back to Hockenheim for this year. And you know, we've talked about you know new races and crazy public money, and you know, like the race in uh, in Russia and stuff like that is happening just because you know wherever whoever has money um, is where it's going, rather than you know classic circuits and stuff that's really cool, yeah, um, and, and things exactly like that. Right. So, uh, you know, my my hope though is that. Um, F1 can evolve to such a way like, they, you know, they really haven't taken advantage of the, the Internet and new media in, in ways like other sports have where, you know, you can subscribe to, uh, you know, NBA or NFL or, um, you know, baseball, all these kind of things. You can pay your money directly to the organization and as a fan get really good, you know, coverage and, and inside access and, and, you know, news and updates and live video and all these kind of things. So and, I feel like Formula One management would say their answer to you is the Formula One app that you can get on the iPhone and Android. Do you feel like that is, doesn't take it far enough? No, because, I mean, as much as it's fun to watch the app and, like, the little animations of cars going around, like, the big thing, I guess, would be streaming video. Like, if I don't, like, if, if I want to... So you're to, saying make the world feed available directly in some capacity if you pay for that. Service. Right, because, yes. you know, because, like, if I have, you know, the, the best way sort of being at the race, or arguably in some ways even better, the best way if I have a Sunday afternoon, I know there was a race on, I want to watch it. I'm not, you know, if I if I have TV, then I'm going to watch it on TV. If I just have the app, if, you know, it's like I still would, would prefer to see the video of this race. You know, if I could do that on my computer and put that on my TV or whatever, that would be a better experience. So, I mean, however exactly it works, the, the point is, I think um, the reliance on the tracks they need to look at that a little bit differently. Maybe, you know, when, when Bernie Ecclestone took a, you know, sort of started this empire in the seventies, that may have made sense to have the tracks and the promoters, really, whoever's, you know, running that particular Grand Prix um, to be the source of money. It may have made sense, but nowadays the, the people at the track, that's like one subset of your fans, the people who could physically travel to that location and, and yeah. be part of it there. But of course, all these sponsors that you see around the track is, is way more to do with the TV audience than the people sitting in the grandstands. Oh, you know? I mean, yeah, you can see, Certainly, some of the sponsors are just digitally added to the television coverage. Yeah, it's clearly that's not true. at the track itself. And I think, I think what you're getting at is a really fascinating one. If you look at the world in the 70s versus the world now, you could argue that the thing that has changed the most is the way media is consumed. It went from much more local than regional than national now it's worldly, and the way people consume it and when they consume media has changed quite a bit in the favor of the consumer. So if you don't adapt to the way things move, which you can say Formula One has been slow at doing, you know, you're going to end up behind. And I, to that point, I think you and I have had this conversation together before, in fact, where it's like, gosh, the only reason I'm really keeping – the cable part of my um, so, uh, service for internet and cable and whatnot is Formula One. Everything right. else I can get online. Right. And and for fans of most other sports, they can even get that online too. So, you know, that's usually the big thing is right? like local news, which you and I personally probably, you know, we get more stuff from the internet than local news anyway. Probably. Um, yeah. and, and sports because – 
as much as you can you can you know get other stuff online after the fact you know you don't care if you get top gear and you get it on itunes and it comes out a day later or whatever that's okay you know it's still entertaining to watch but the yeah, f1 I race mean, it's like you want to watch it or any sports it's like you want to watch it live if everyone's gonna be talking about it the next day or we want to do a podcast on it right then you kind of need to have that live i think the way i consume things like that these days is probably true of a lot of people it's i consume it late and in batches you know, if I have a couple hours, I sit down and I watch a few episodes of something at once. Yeah. And then a few weeks go by and then I do that again. Right. So here's hoping that um, more tracks. I mean, if the track goes out of business, that's a really big shame because it is a great facility, Circuit of the Americas. You've been there a couple of times before and after the Grand Prix. That's exactly um, right. For other testing and media events and things like that. And there's there's concerts there. There's all kinds of stuff. I mean, there's probably, you know, car shows with burnout competitions there, too. I mean, why I the hell not, I walked up right? to the top of the tower recently, yeah. and it is quite high. And, ooh, this is a fun little side note. Um, you and I together went to the CN Tower in Toronto. And, you know, they have that very thick glass floor Yes, that is very intimidating to walk on if you don't understand the strength of glass. <laughs> and Circuit of the Americas has the exact same thing on their tower. And uh, the group I was with was freaking out a little, like, oh, oh. And it is, you know, nowhere near as high as the CN Tower, but it's high enough to give you the same effect. So I ran up to it and stomped on it and freaked out a few people. It was a fun little moment. Oh, I love doing that. Like, you know, because everyone's kind of like tiptoeing over the edge as though they're going to like fall through the glass and fall. Right, and right. just kind of run up and just jump on it. And everyone's like, oh, my God, this guy. Right. Oh, like Right. Exactly. And, you know, whatever the number of elephants that can stand on it at once, whatever it's rated to, it's like, and that's probably still conservative. It's like, do not worry. And, you know, it, what was funny. Although, wouldn't I feel dumb if I fell through and well, died? Then well, it's like, well, don't do that. Here's, here's exactly the reaction people gave me. They're like, Robin, you of all people, yeah. because my big accident was falling. I'm like, yeah, yeah the, there was no glass involved. And. Trust me, that wouldn't be the same thing. I mean, and if that's how you go out, it's like, all right, you know right. what? I was exactly. trying to prove a point. Exactly. And you failed. I oh. mean, you know, a, a Darwin Award is an award. So <laughs> <laughs> let's just go with it. Anyway, um, this it, it does, it just, it's more scrapings to the fact that Formula One at its current stage is not sustainable. It is, it is a, a very expensive thing that fewer and fewer people can afford and more people are asking for change, but here's what where it gets interesting. There's been a debate that cropped up in the last few weeks about the cars having 1,000 horsepower again. You're right. And I feel like that's a mistake, not because I don't like horsepower, but because I don't like the idea of not making the horsepower by pushing new technologies and making... Formula One relative to the larger car industry again. Are you concerned but, that they're too loud? Is that the problem? Yes, that's the problem. Just, just, shh, shh. but no, but that they're making they're making power by saying, oh, you can burn more fuel, and oh, you can turn up the turbos, and oh, you can use more DRS. It's like, okay, only one of those three is actually relevant to the larger industry. Well, okay, so. Uh, so I, I understand that you don't like horsepower, and that that's okay. There's a place for that. I mean, but just slow down. No, I mean, part of the point that I think is, you know, we've been obviously talking about the sounds and the technology this whole time. And, you know, it's like, um, first of all, you know, the world endurance cars, a lot of them make around 1,000 horsepower, you know, 900 horsepower, 1,000 horsepower. And that's part of... That's a talking point. You know, you and I talked about indie cars a while ago, and it's like, okay, there's the sound and there's the spectacle and how similar they are and, and some different things. But part of it is just like how much power, how much of a handful is this car to drive and how much of that is like, wow, these guys are really good. They're handling these 1,000-horsepower machines. I mean, there is, it's that, there is a, a value to 
that number. If someone doesn't know Formula One and you're, you know, when they sort of hear about it, you're like, oh yeah, those are, you know, some of these hybrid cars. I hear they're kind of quiet. I hear they kind of sound weird. If the like rumor that's going around, you know, the the kind of tagline, if uh, those that aren't familiar with Formula One, it's like, oh man, these cars are crazy. It's a thousand horsepower, man. That that's nuts. Uh, because now, you know you know, when they were sort of 700 horsepower, like that used to be a crazy high unattainable number. And there's like several road cars now with like 600, 700 horsepower, 800 maybe. You know, like I can think of two right away. Two I mean, of them both. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, there's like, the, you know, the Veyron, a thousand one horsepower. Well, yeah, like that's that, just a crazy that's thing just, on its own. And that's not even talking about the redonkulous ones, but no, there's one that's uh, under 70 grand. It's 60 something thousand dollars. It's the uh, Dodge Challenger. And I don't know if it's out yet, but the Dodge Charger, there's the Hellcat which is about um, 707. 707 horsepower. Right. Although, if a, you can get one for under 70, then good luck, because apparently those are... Uh, anyway. Because it's a big number. but And then also the Ferrari F12 Berlinetta. But anyway, and there's more. Point, because there's also the Aventador. And there's LaFerraris and McLaren P1s and all the hypercars and crazy stuff. and on and on. Yeah. yeah. Not the point. Point is, when we had... Well, okay. Two points. First of all, we're, we were... Last year, we were over 700 horsepower, 2014, and we were approaching... Um, the lap times that we had with the V8s, the 2.4 liter V8s. Mm-hmm. This year, just with the development that's ongoing now, we're going to have what looks like close to 800 horsepower. Um, I might say this name wrong, but Paul Hembury, the, the yeah, Pirelli. Yeah. yeah, He's predicting as much as three to four seconds a lap gain which is huge. in lap time, which yeah. is a huge gain. And that's going to be engine development, um, aerodynamic improvement and uh, yeah, because again we have <laughs> yet another way to uglify the noises, but that's a different topic. Um, so we're going to have more horsepower and faster lap times. And one of the reasons that we had a thousand horsepower and we had the lap times we had is because we had so much downforce that it wasn't really about handling the horsepower. It was about you know being very accurate with where you pointed your rocket ship, and that's how you got the lap time. Having less downforce makes handling whatever the horsepower number is more difficult. And seeing people battling each other with less downforce and having closer battles, that shows the difficulty of racing and the skill that's required in racing. Horsepower is a number that's getting easier and easier and easier for manufacturers to build and still meet emissions regulations. Mm -hmm. It's becoming less of a point to have big numbers. I mean, you can get... A lot of cars, lots of cars with over 500 horsepower, a healthy number of cars with over 600 horsepower, some cars with over 700 horsepower, and now the supercars of the days are over 900 horsepower. It's, it, what's and the that's point? cool. But what's the point <laughs> of Formula One? What's the point of Formula One saying we have a little bit more than that? Because it's more – well, so so it's, it's cool that they're getting there with new technology. I mean you say, yeah, burning more fuel, uh, of course that's – you know. Uh, I guess that goes a little bit against the, um, what the, the marketing message could have been from the FIA to say, look at how we're the same lap times as before, but using 30% less fuel. Like that would be a, a great marketing message to put out there. They and, don't put that out there for some reason. That's something we've been saying for right. them. I guess you're welcome, FIA. But, but to be able to put out, I mean, I think, you know, it's funny when you see something like a P1 or LaFerrari or 918 um, in a story, you know, a YouTube video about it or uh, an article or whatever. And some people are like, oh, this car would be so cool if it weren't a hybrid. I'm like, that's totally missing the point. Part of what is so cool about this car is they're using modern, you know, new cool technology and using, you know, using the best of both worlds of, of uh, internal combustion and electric motors and all that and, and making it work together as one, one whole package. And then, it, of course, if it's going to be sold, it still has to meet some requirements and uh, meet some standards. It has to be a, a livable car for people to, uh, to some extent, uh, to drive. So the fact that they can get a crazy number with the new technology seems like it kind of still gets back to that 
that marketing message, that kind of visceral, like, man, these cars are really crazy to drive, super high horsepower, and uh, and you know, you know, the downforce will be what it is. But um, being able to uh, to have a crazy high banner number and talk about it, you know, and the other thing people like is, is top speeds. You know, how fast do they go? Which of course it's only going to be at Monza in low downforce trim and the particular track. So it's kind of a, a dumb metric. I mean, really, the better one is like a lap time. Yeah, how much faster is this car than X on a lap? They're already bettering better than two hundred miles an hour. They're already bettering two hundred miles an hour. So why do they have to be better? Well, NASCAR goes 200 miles an hour, but, you know, let's go more than that. NASCAR goes 200 miles an hour. They used to go 220, and then they started putting um, uh, air baffles, uh, air blocks on the carburetors. You could only have so much of an intake size. It was restrictor plates is what they called it, and that slowed the cars down. So the fastest NASCAR cars went was 20, 25 years ago. I mean, there there is a line to draw of like pushing technology and big numbers and big excitement. Right. And then actual relevancy formula one, especially has pushed relevancy and formula one, especially I think for me, what's much more important is the actual spectacle, the excitement of the racing itself. Okay. Australian super Australian V8 supercars. They don't make a thousand horsepower, but the racing's fantastic watch because they are on top of each other. And yes, they have fenders, but if we had more uh, less aero dependency, those cars could get close to each other and they'd be harder to drive. So it'd be more exciting to see how close they get to the limit. And I think the fact that they're going to be pushing 800 horsepower as is, I think it's more interesting to push hybrid further, make the horsepower that way, make the horsepower with new technology. Well, they are doing that. That's, they're not saying like, let's go to a thousand horsepower by ditching these and go back to V8s. No, but, but some they, people want that. They, but. they were, some were saying that first of all, other people were saying, well, dial up the boost, allow more revs, allow more fuel. That's what they were saying. It's like, let's I don't see what, yeah, that sounds cool. No, no, that's completely defeating the point of shifting to hybrid technology in the first place. In my opinion, it's, it's pointless. If if they can if they could get their if they could get their next race because they allow the engines to spin another thousand uh, RPM and more boost and more fuel that's irrelevant. But if they can get there by using the same amount of fuel or even less and come up with some cool new technology that then trickles down in the industry, that's cool. I think a thousand horsepower hybrid powertrains trickling down in the industry sounds cool to me. Because I mean, clearly, since you know Toyota has had this thousand horsepower WEC car. I'm pretty sure I haven't looked, but I'm pretty sure I could go online and like buy a Corolla with a thousand horsepower hybrid powertrain, and yeah. it would be all-wheel drive and would have amazing aerodynamics. I mean, I'll, I'll go check later after the show, but I'm pretty sure that's a thing. I'm telling you, you can if you really want a thousand horsepower, fine. Put the number at a thousand horsepower. Just make that the spec. You have to have a thousand horsepower, but that defeats the reason of having four engine suppliers developing. And what's really going to make for great racing and great excitement is getting the arrow out of the car. And getting the drivers closer and closer and closer to each other, getting rear tires spinning with power drifts and on and on like that. Make the cars hard to drive by killing aero. Make them mechanically grip, grip, make them really slick in the air so they can go fast top speeds and make it challenging to drive. Horsepower to me is pretty irrelevant there. We're high enough. Well, horsepower is what you need to get that those rear tires spinning in a difficult way. You can do it with 800. <laughs> everybody's got 800 horsepower that is not enough that is not enough power anymore no I, yeah i mean I, I agree that there's there's different ways you can you know to spruce up the racing this isn't the only way but if this keeps a lot of people interested or gets some more people interested in what's going on then that sounds cool i and, think no okay i'm sorry i'm interject, interjecting but i think the important point it, we both agree that more is better in that sense but what i'm saying is 
don't just throw on horsepower to put a Band-Aid on the problem. The real fundamental issue is making the racing exciting and making the development important. And I feel like dialing up the horsepower doesn't do that. And it actually kind of lets Formula One get back in the old school a little bit instead of force them into the new school. If you want Formula One to be sustainable for 20 years, you got to push this new school, new development, new excitement thing. Right. And to be fair, the 1,000 horsepower number is a bit... A little bit silly anyway, because peak horsepower is one number out of a very many that actually count towards how your engine is performing. You know, if you look at some of the um, technical regulations for different classes, like multi-class racing, even in if Le Mans prototypes and other things, it's not just what is the maximum horsepower your car makes, because it's one thing to have a normal torque curve where, like, you know, our, a normal road car. It's like, okay, maybe at some point in one particular uh, RPM range, you know, my car can make 215 pound-feet of torque. But it's not making that same power across the whole rev band, but you could engineer an engine that makes exactly 1,000 horsepower across the whole power band using a certain crazy amount of fuel and all the restrictors and electronics and everything, and one would be faster than the other. So there is difference in terms of the engines to the drivability, the torque curves, how configurable they are, and even, you know, differentials and tires and everything else. So the 1,000 horsepower, if, if anything, would be a marketing thing to say, you know, in the opening of the of whatever Grand Prix, people are tuning in, you know, it's Monaco, and there's everyone's talking about, oh, these amazing cars, and they're going around the thing. It's just one more line that can have in that, you know, these 1,000 horsepower machines, and it's man versus battle, oh, whatever. Okay. And, no, you make a perfect point. I, I fix new marketing for Formula One. These Formula One cars could have up to a thousand horsepower dun 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 and it's very important to add the dun 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 part yes but then it's fine because listen what's more exciting one thousand horsepower the number or the fact that four engine manufacturers are genuinely pushing for innovative ways to make more power than the other guy and one car is faster than another from one race to the next because they're developing and able to develop I think that's not the right question. The real question is, which one of those was quicker for you to say? And that's, (laughs) unfortunately, that's like, you know, Uh, what's cool about F1? Thousand horsepower. That's it, you know? But, you know, what, okay. If that's the case, um, NHRA, top fuel dragsters, are approaching 10,000 horsepower, which makes it almost 10 times better all right that concludes this episode of the fun with cars f1 podcast now it's time for the nhra podcast well, that's not, well you know yeah so it's it's cool but then it's all over in four seconds which you know that's right. what she said but well, and listen that's that's one thing they've done is they're approaching ten thousand horsepower they're also only going a thousand feet they no longer go a quarter mile or 400 meters they go one thousand feet <laughs> really i didn't even realize that yeah that's that's, that's yeah. funny yeah so it's yeah, they yeah. make almost 10,000 horsepower, and they burn umpteen numbers of gallons um, in one quarter mile. Yeah. And the development is cool, but what's exciting about Formula 1 isn't that. Right. If you want to make Formula 1 exciting and more relevant and push new technology, take arrow out of the car. Add slipstream into the car. That'll make them faster in a straight line, harder to drive, and the racing closer. All right. Let's, uh, anyway, let's. Speaking of engine development, <laughs> um, one of the big stories that's happened um, Ed, that's sort of been this back and forth was all the teams or somebody and then all the rest uh, glommed onto the idea. Notice there's a loophole from the FIA about when the official designs for the 2015 engines for existing competitors needed to be submitted to the FIA. Right. I think the FIA was under the impression, like, yeah, I'm sure it's in the rule somewhere. They need to be submitted, you know, before the start of the season. Someone February 28th. Very I closely looking at or the maybe rules. That was Honda. Um, was decided uh, or realized, actually, no, doesn't doesn't say the letter of the rules here doesn't actually specify 
that we need to submit our final design for 2015 engines. Um, I don't know if there's a date at all or if it's like middle of the season or something, but it's the whole point to is... To which the FIA replied, yeah, but you know what we, you know what we mean. Right. So they sort of had to <laughs> stick with the letter of the rules because that's the way these things work. That's so basically... what that letter does. Uh, yeah. So basically you can be racing on what's... Hey, this isn't my final 2015 engine design. You can be racing on whatever engine you have for 2015 and then not submit it till maybe the end of the season. Say, oh, yeah, that, that last one, that was my final engine design, which basically means the, the engine on the sort of engine freeze has been lifted by virtue of this loophole that the FIA working group didn't really mean to put in there, but is in there. Um, then the big controversy, of course, was that um, well, that Honda wasn't part of that because this is all about existing competitors, and Honda already did have a deadline for their engine to be de- to be submitted, and that was February twenty eighth. Yeah. That's where that date comes from. And uh, and then of course there was some back and forth, and this went on for a couple weeks uh, about oh should this this is the wrong thing oh should we ban all the development or should we just do Honda? And it's like well you know these are the rules as they're written, um, and but it just seemed really unfair to Honda. But the takeaway from all that is that now everyone all the, all the teams including Honda as an engine manufacturer can. Uh, continue to work on to develop the engine of their car to some extent throughout 2015. So it does kind of go against the cost-cutting arguments because that development will take time and effort and money and people to to develop. True. But it could be interesting in that if, you know, Mercedes continues to be dominant at the beginning of the season, that's not necessarily going to be something that carries on, and we could see more more change in things uh, as the season goes on. So yeah. it's kind of a probably a win for the fans for now, but it is one of those things that's not really sustainable uh, because it's, uh, you know, we've obviously we had, you know, two teams that failed, and Marussia has this kind of last ditch, maybe they'll show up for the first race kind of thing, but probably not. Uh, you know, there's all these things that, that are still problematic in terms of costs for the, for the series. So uh, this doesn't help that, but it could be good, especially for Honda and McLaren, to you know, keep moving everything forward and make sure that, um, you know, no one just says, hey, we have a crap engine. We know how we could fix it, but we're not allowed to. Um, you know, this this avoids that, at least. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, cost-cutting is important, and uh, Formula 1 being sustainable is also important. But if there is one group that can afford to spend a little bit more, it would be the engine suppliers. Um, there's Mercedes and Ferrari that are both Formula 1 teams and engine suppliers, but... Obviously, the Formula One team is a very tiny little chunk of Mercedes, and the Formula One team of Ferrari is financially still a reasonably small chunk. They are, in fact, ultimately owned by Fiat, etc., etc. Point being, those are big billions of dollars company companies, and they, if anyone, can afford to develop. The F1 teams themselves, especially the private ones that don't produce the engines, they're the ones that are much smaller, have much tighter budget, and you know, it's kind of feast or famine. So, although the, the constructors still do have to buy the engines, I mean, we saw a lot of the as Marussia was dying, we saw more of the financials from it, and I think their biggest debtor was they owed Ferrari so much money for these engines. So well, it's they're not there. It's not directly the same money, but of course, it is all connected. And if anything, you could come up with is maybe as a way of maybe eliminating some of this stuff is a spec price to say this is yeah. what an F1 engine costs to a customer. That's exactly what I was going to say. Okay. That's a really good point. Yeah. Make it $10 and I'll buy one. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll pay 15 Ooh. 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 So anyway, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a good point. We should always reasonable cost. But for me, obviously, I just got off my soapbox about um, Formula One development anyway. Engine development is something I definitely don't want to see because that was a big part of the V8s. It's like, oh, we have V8s now and they're frozen. 
you can't develop well, them. Even, and then they found loopholes. Yeah, and even that was, oh, we have V10s. Well, chop off two cylinders, and now we've got the V8s. Like, it, not quite that simple, of course, but right. there was something to be like, you know, they had the V10 development but it was, era. I mean, literally that. It was 3-liter V10s, 2.4-liter V8s, so it was, quite literally, lob off two cylinders. They were the same board. I just, I just picture, I mean, like, a, same cylinder size. A guy at a Ferrari with a hacksaw. Just, <laughs> just, shoot. Oh, okay, yeah. our engine's done. There well, it is. Yeah. In the 70s, maybe. But. There's a little <laughs> leak at the back where there's, you know, co- coolant lines uh, run. Does, does anyone have any gum? But it was, but, you know, during the V10 era of development, of engine development, you know, we did have people, engine companies and, you know, engineers and so on pushing the envelope. And of course, sometimes we had spectacular failures and sometimes we had cars that were quite a bit faster than other ones, but it was, it was part of the fun, but it did lead to some level of Ferrari dominance. I mean, it was part of those many factors, of course, but um, part of it was, um, okay, this isn't really sustainable because if somebody has a really good engine design and can keep just moving that forward and forward, then you know, it's maybe not so not so competitive for other people. So having some level of balance there seems good as well. But I mean, the good news is it's not some unfair thing because it would have been a shame if, um, you know, the Honda engine came out and it was okay, but everyone else's engine was just got better and better over the course of the season. And just because of this weird loophole, Honda's like, well, we could exactly. also make our engine better, but now we're not allowed to. So right. exactly hopefully that's right. a good thing for McLaren, um, for your boy, Jay Button. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, uh, and for our boy, Craig, who is a staunch McLaren fan. Right. He he let out a big sigh of relief uh, when that news came out. And the McLaren test driver, one young Kevin Magnuson, he's, yeah, he's pretty good. He could be in Formula 1 someday. I heard, I heard he has a future. Yeah, maybe potentially. he could actually be a race driver. Yeah, you know, point. he's he's a, he's a not to be confused with his um, older brother, Jan Magnuson. Yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, one quick little aside to that. Um, Honda knew and knows about Mercedes engine dominance along with Mercedes team dominance, but they themselves made the decision not to go with a split turbo design. So they could have more easily than any other team gone with that and are saying no. So they consciously made the decision to keep the turbo connected. Yeah, and even the Mercedes people were talking about that because once it came out that like, oh, hey, there's a split turbo design. And I think some people um, looked at that and said, oh, that must be why Mercedes is so dominant. And it's like, maybe that's one part of it. But I think other teams looked at that. And, and even if it's not for putting on the car, engineers at Ferrari or Renault you know, could have looked at it and said, okay, let's try this. Let's do some mock-ups, either of some course. you know, thermal modeling or whatever, and or just you know, maybe, maybe build one that way yeah. and just see if they're like, wow, this is amazing. This changes everything. But it seems like even Mercedes was saying, and maybe they would say this to you know, throw people off the trail, but they're like, that's, that's not really it. Right. Well, we're going to see soon enough exactly what that means because Dude, I can't wait, man. It's been it's not a longer off season than usual. It just it always feels like this. You know, right. it's like end of January. I'm like, I want to see cars, I want to see the testing, I want to see the race. McLaren is actually in terms of car launches, they're the first to uh with a date to roll out the new MP four thirty, and that's gonna be January twenty ninth. It is not long from now. And uh then Ferrari's gonna follow the next day and the Toro Rosso the day after that. And finally, the day after that, Mercedes plans on showing off theirs. And Force India has a much later release date of February 19th. And then, so that was real quick. Uh, McLaren, January 29th. Ferrari, January 30th. Toro Rosso, January 31st. Mercedes, February 1st. And then Force India, February 19th, with a few other teams not yet announcing. Yeah, so we saw... um 
some Williams stuff for the 2015 car that was like, is this a 2015 car? Because it looks just like 2014, but it had a little different nose. Right. I it's think that computer generated images. Yeah, and... it was like for F1 Racing Magazine or whatever. So that that I, for a minute I was like, wow, is this what it looks like? And it wasn't like revolutionary or anything, but it's like, oh, okay, it's just the nose is a little different. Yes. Um, and also we saw Force India announce their new livery, which actually looks like an old McLaren, but it looks yes. pretty cool. Yes. And it was the event was in Mexico City, which is of course tying in with a lot of their Mexican backing and sponsorship and the fact that there's a Mexican Grand Prix, but the and good a Mexican news is, driver, right? Um, and the good news uh, is seeing some of the journalists and stuff there. I mean, Will Buxton, for example, um, was following and uh, I was following him, and he was just like, you know, he's going to Teotihuacan, the pyramids outside Mexico City, which I've been there, and it's really beautiful and a really cool place. I bet. And I think it's one of these countries, um, you know, people are like. You don't think of like, oh, I should go to Mexico. That's probably like a great place for history. I mean, maybe people know, you know, Cancun and beaches and whatever. And there's definitely that. But like um, Will Buxton was like, I've fallen in love with Mexico City. What a great place. And it's just one of those places you don't think of to go necessarily. But it's really cool. So I like that more people are, are you know, seeing parts of Mexico that they wouldn't have thought to go to. Or, you know, all these journalists and people writing about it, whatever. That hopefully the F1 race can bring a nice positive spotlight onto, onto you know, Mexico City and all the cool you know, history and culture and, you know, the racing scene and everything there. Um, and as you know, we've talked about, you know, I've been to that track a bunch of times. They're talking about some changes and actually James Payne posted on our Facebook page or on Twitter or something. Um, one of the proposed changes for, you know, the little stadium, little section that goes through the baseball stadium. Yeah. yeah I oh, remember it's a that soccer pitch now, I think, but, um, and they're like adding some curves into that, which just kind of seems dumb. Cause it's hmm. like, you know, that was sort of just a big chicane. Um, but it was a place where a lot of spectators could be. I mean, it's a weird track to be, to be honest, like yeah. the layout, it's like super long front straightaway. And then a bunch of like really tight, twisty kind of annoying corners. Well, it had a few years as a champ car track, right? And they put on a great show there and that was champ car in its, <laughs> thousand horsepower days so ah, the thousand uh, horsepower the days. good old days so anyway uh, yeah i don't know i'm still optimistic but uh, you know there's some some reason that well anyway point is well mexico is cool mexico is force cool. india is like really playing that up and and it's kind of cool that they're bringing some positive attention there and their livery looks kind of like an old mclaren which is not a bad thing those were some really good looking cars but it's kind of like black and silver with an orange stripe i'm like that's cool that's a cool new look and uh, I'm also really excited to see what the McLaren Honda looks like because apparently that could be a very different looking car, um, livery wise. Even uh, remember how we were supposed to get the real 2014 McLaren livery at some point? They're like, "This is just a temporary. We're going to run this for now." You know, yeah, livery at the beginning well. of the season, and then it never happened. So that could be back to a classic. I mean, it's not going to be Marlboro covers colors because you can't really do Marlboro, and they're all tied up with Ferrari. But um, you <laughs> that know, would be that would be funny. If it that's could be. What it, was, it could be. Yeah. You know, that kind of the bright. You know, the orange uh, that they've done in the past. It could be something different, and um, that's that's an exciting look i mean we kind of you can kind of imagine what the ferrari is going to look like it's probably gonna be red and it's gonna have sebastian vettel in it but well the anyway. first uh the first preseason testing is scheduled to happen at jerez spain february 1st through the 4th that's totally how you pronounce that too whatever <laughs> how do you say it Hereth. Hereth. Uh, kind of anyway spain february 1st through the 4th and then Barcelona. um February 19th to the 22nd, and again, February 26th to March 1st. Right. And then, of course, not too long after that, they will ship everything to Australia. Yes. So, um, let's see, is the uh, is the countdown to the first race live on the, uh, yeah, 47 days um, and uh, 40 minutes until practice one in Australia. So, you know, that's, 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 a, that's a thing. Doable amount of time. And, uh, you know, we should be... Uh, um, looking forward to that. I'm, I'm, dude, I'm excited. I want to see what all the cars look like. And then as soon as you see them, you're like, I want to see them race now. <laughs> like, I right. don't care about testing. Just get into the race. I want to see them with big, um, big stencils of how much horsepower they make on every single side. Yeah, you should do yeah. that. That's that's and what I want. It should be a thousand every single one. Right, exactly. And then you know, poor Renault is like, oh, we only have 998. Oh, 
Yeah, well, screw them. Screw them. All right. Um, I uh, we need to wrap this up and uh, and get going. But uh, no predictions yet. Maybe we'll talk predictions uh, in the future. Um, uh, well, my prediction that we will have predictions sometime sometime this year still holds. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, but thank you, as always, for listening. Please do visit funwithcars.com where you can comment on the shows and see links to our Twitter and Facebook followings and all that kind of fun stuff. And uh, you can always send email to feedback at funwithcars.com if you'd like to get in touch with us. Thank you, as always, for listening. I am Jim Lau. And I am Ron Warner. With one quick thing, if you have um, a topic that you want us to talk about, like a preseason topic, let us know. We're, uh, we're very interested in that. And, of course, as Jim said, Facebook, Twitter, etc. Goodbye. <laughs>